You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so does not cost you a single cent and ensures you never miss another episode. You also stay tuned for the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Before we get underway with tonight's show, I thought I would let you know about one of our other wonderful podcasts because you need more hockey news and Locked on NHL is here to fill the gap. It's our daily podcast on everything happening in the league. Subscribe and listen each day for a quick look at the biggest stories and game recaps. Subscribe to Locked on NHL today wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On tonight's show, there are a couple of topics of note. One, of course, is the first game between Tampa Bay and the Montreal Canadiens. We'll go through some thoughts on this game one and what adjustments I think each of these teams would need to make and then what we can expect from the rest of the series based on some early thoughts from this game. And then finally closing us out, we will cover our Euro 2020 coverage, which the Euros resumed over the weekend. And folks, it was quite the explosive sequence of games and matches and then culminating into some really crazy stuff today that we will talk about later in this episode. First off, though, let us discuss Montreal versus Tampa Bay. And to be honest, this one bit of a tough one for the Canadians. The Habs in previous games when they've been bad or or maybe have struggled against better opponents, they've often been able to make a, you know, handful of adjustments here and there and start to match the the tempo and pace of their opponents. I feel like they have a good bounce back ability especially against teams like Vegas, but against Tampa Bay this feels a little bit different maybe. This game especially in the first period Montreal just really struggled to get any sort of breakouts going, and it just felt like Tampa Bay was swarming them down low, especially near Carey Price. A lot of the um, offensive opportunities were from turnovers that Montreal was making, a lot of really bad mistakes, maybe some poor passes, a couple of strip turnovers. The Lightning were clearly prepared to pressure up and down the ice, and it was especially noticeable when they were inside the offensive zone against Montreal's defense. The Habs just did not have much of a response. It was very clear that Tampa Bay was faster, their passing was better, their outlets were cleaner. Just about everything for the Lightning was working more or less perfectly. And then, of course, Tampa Bay ends up getting the opening goal thanks to a beautiful Eric Saranac deflection, which was a nice tip off the rush. It was one of those plays where I think Braden Point made the nice pass from the wing. I don't know if this one should have really beaten Carey Price from the angle that it did. You would maybe hope that the defender who was tracking Saranac would actually get the stick in and maybe disrupt it before the puck was deflected over, but Price didn't really have much of a shot. And just like that, Tampa Bay is up. The second goal was a really nice offensive zone entry where Yanni Gord dropped to the front of the net right in front of Price. He was a little bit off to the left side, and then Blake Coleman wristed a really hard shot that Gord got the tip on. Again, Carey Price not much of a chance on this one, but Price had been making a number of really great saves leading up to this goal against. He was basically the only thing standing between Montreal and being down like 3 or 4 nothing. I recall there being an especially great save on Steven Stamkos either in the first or second period, but it was just clear that Price, in this game, he was basically going to have to be perfect because Montreal's defense was certainly not. I know people have suggested that Montreal's defense is better than Winnipeg's, and that is true by a decent margin, but it's also not saying a whole lot because Montreal's defense itself is not so great. 
they play a lot of Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, um, Joel Edmondson, and then, of course, Ben Sherratt. I am a huge Jeff Petrie fan, but the rest of the guys, not so much. I think Weber at this point probably should not be playing 25-plus minutes a night, let alone 35 or more. Um, of course, like the third D pairing doesn't really get a whole lot of play. Brett Kulak and whoever else gets stapled on that pairing, they just don't ever get ice time. And then you've got these other guys like Sherratt and Edmondson who are probably playing a little bit above their pay grade, especially for what they bring to this team. Sherratt, you know, he had a real howler of a game, some really bad turnovers, uh, one or two really stupid penalties, uh, a nasty goal against that happened later in the game. I just think it goes to show why Tampa Bay, for me, was an opponent that I don't think Montreal was really prepared to deal with. The, the Canadians are a strong team, right? They have a really good defensive structure for the most part. They play fast, really good countering hockey. They're very smart about when they make their breakouts, and they're not afraid to mix it up. But at some level, you do have to accept that Montreal's ability to compete with a team like Tampa Bay is inherently limited by the talent level. Tampa Bay is just deeper than everyone, and I feel like it's, it's tough to beat this team and really match up against their star talent because they have so many players that can break it open. Even Tyler Johnson, who I think is on their fourth line, is normally like a pretty good middle six center for most other teams, but Johnson here is a fourth line, right? They've got Coleman, they've got Stamkos, they've got Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov. There's just so much talent and depth to work with here, and it's really hard to beat all those lineups. The first period was definitely Montreal's toughest, they just really didn't have much of anything going, they couldn't generate all that many dangerous shots, and anytime they did actually get a nice scoring chance here and there, either they sent it wide or, you know, Andre Vasilevsky easily shut the shot down, so it wasn't like Montreal was getting all that many looks. And it feels like Tampa Bay was doing a really good job of creating offense every time they got the turnover, you know, immediately... Once Tampa Bay made a puck recovery inside the defensive zone, the entire team was pressing back up the ice and creating an offensive rush, which Montreal didn't really handle all that well. So Tampa Bay, just a really clinical first, you know, 20 or so minutes in this game. And I was curious to know if it would actually continue. In Montreal's defense, I feel like they did get a, a better response as they were heading into like the second period. They actually did score a goal, so it wasn't like they were shut out. But, you know, this one was a double deflection from Ben Sherratt, who had something of a brutal night, so I can't really say that Sherratt would be happy with this performance. The goal is probably nice for his record, but as far as the rest of the game is concerned, not really much of anything in the grand scheme of things. With how dangerous Tampa Bay's power play was and how good their even-strength play was, it just wasn't enough to really make a dent on Tampa Bay's evening. Even when the Habs were able to create down low or get a few really nice deflections here and there, they just weren't really consistently dangerous at a level where I felt like Tampa Bay would ever be sweating. We'll talk about the third period and potential adjustments that I think Montreal would need to make, but let's be honest, I think we all sort of understand that no matter what, this is always going to be an uphill battle for the Habs. If they go down, they'll go down swinging, and it won't be for a lack of effort. It's just trying to play this Tampa Bay team, it's just a different level of hockey and something that I don't think many teams are actually equipped to handle. Before talking about the third period and diagnosing what Montreal might do for game number two, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, by now you know that I'm personally a huge fan of Built Bars. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, they're so darn good because they're the only protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. It comes in nine delicious flavors like mint brownie, salted caramel, raspberry, and more. 
but I'd highly recommend staying tuned to all of Built Bar's social media channels because they often have limited edition, limited quantity, special flavors that only come around once or twice. If a Built Bar flavor like Churro Puff or Grasshopper Cookie sounds delicious to you, then make sure you're tuned into BuiltBar.com at all times. As delicious as these flavors are, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 17 to 18 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're perfect for every lifestyle, so place your order by going to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that is promo code LOCK15 at checkout for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. You know, we're talking about Montreal versus Tampa Bay in their first game and, uh, Bit of a tough one for the Habs. I feel like Montreal sort of lost the plot a little bit. And let's be honest, I think we all did expect that in the in the opening of this series, at least, that Tampa Bay would probably win in pretty resounding fashion. What you might be surprised to know is that the expected goals in this game, especially at even strength, weren't too crazy. It looked like a pretty even experience for the most part, but I think it's important to understand where the shot locations were coming from. Montreal throughout the game really struggled to get into Tampa Bay's slot, whereas the Lightning were basically carving up Montreal right in front of Carey Price. If you're getting to that area with the quality of shooters that Tampa Bay has, it's going to be not much of a contest, right? You're looking at a team that has some of the most elite goal scorers in the entire NHL. But Tampa Bay also has a lot of really underrated players like Yanni Gord, Anthony Sorelli, and several other forwards who are very effective at creating offense and also chipping in some really nice four-checking goals as well. So they have a really well-balanced roster. There aren't that many holes to really contend with in terms of trying to find weaknesses. You sort of get the idea. Towards the end of the game, you could kind of see that Montreal was starting to run out of gas and really got frustrated. They took some sloppy penalties. There were a lot of scrums. Guys were throwing each other to the ice, which somehow wasn't a penalty. I don't know. The game was getting a bit out of hand, and then, you know, Montreal ended up on a 5-on-3 penalty kill, and, of course, Tampa Bay kind of took advantage. They put out five forwards out there, and thanks to the power play space that is afforded to the Lightning there, they end up ending the game 5-1, so... Yeah, bit of a tough one for the Habs. I think you have to look at this one as just the first of a longer series. And I, I also feel like Montreal shouldn't be as discouraged. I still think that this is probably a shorter series, but not because the Habs are going to be really bad. I just feel like Tampa Bay is at a step above almost everyone. In order to defeat the, the Lightning, you really have to be incredibly careful when it comes to stuff like being disciplined and, and avoiding penalties. That's probably one of the biggest things because at even strength, if you can maybe limit the amount of space that Tampa Bay gets right down the center of your slot, it gets a little bit easier. I think the biggest issue is that even then, you know, Tampa Bay can still score from really sharp angles and they have guys with incredible finesse who love to exploit cross-seam movement. So there's not much that you can do about that unless you're basically trying to throw yourself and committing to every single block and, and lane blockage, which creates a lot of other issues once you're committed and maybe unable to make adjustments where Tampa Bay tends to excel at exploiting that kind of stuff. So, you know, darned if you do, darned if you don't, you kind of have to commit or try to at least compensate for it. And I think Montreal does have at least an understanding of what it is that they need to do, but it actually is is getting to that point where you're not turning over the puck and making really bad passes and being very sloppy in possession that I think is probably the biggest challenge. Montreal doesn't really have a roster that's capable of handling a lot of offensive pressure, especially with sustained cycles and really fast puck movement, which is sort of what, you know, Tampa Bay is built on. For the second game, I think Montreal needs to find a way to dial the pace down a bit. I think they need to be a little bit more careful when they're trying to break out. They need to be a little bit slower paced, a bit more measured, and try and win those physical contests along the wall. I think the biggest thing that's really tough about that sort of uh, challenge is that you're also dealing with a very physical, very powerful Tampa Bay team that's frankly not afraid to mix it up in the, in the corner. So 
your options and routes to victory are, are fairly limited here. I feel like Montreal needs to be more clinical on the power play. They need to be careful in possession and stop turning it over recklessly. The defenders are also going to have to be a lot less sloppy. I felt like Ben Sherratt was having an absolute howler of a night, but he's not the only defender who was struggling to keep his lane assignments and marking, so... Like Jeff Petru was quoted as saying, general improvement is in fact needed, and it's it's across the board. I felt like the, the Montreal Canadiens forwards weren't really all that dangerous. Um, I do want to see them crashing the net a bit more. You have to get in, inside the crease area and really pressure Vasilevsky. Take away his vision, because if he has all of these opportunities to see shots from distances, or even even up close but still in his in his range of vision... It's going to be a tall task trying to pick any of those corners and get through. I mean, unless you're scoring some greasy goal, getting by Vasilevsky is just very difficult. You saw what it took to finally get Montreal on the board tonight, which was a very fortunate double deflection off of several skates, so it's not like this is a sustainable path of victory for the Habs. Point shooting really shouldn't be their main strategy. I think they need to grind it down low and, and really attack that slot area because otherwise they're going to be facing a team that does not give you much anywhere inside the defensive zone. So it's going to be a, a bit of a slugfest. I feel like this series, if in fact it does go beyond like five or six games, guys are probably going to leave this one battered and bruised. You can already see a lot of the physicality and maybe even some emotions of... of dislike and certainly guys getting very chippy with each other already in this game there were so many scrums guys were cross-checking each other shoving each other punching each other I mean it was a bit of a mess to be honest and in the past you may have felt like this was the kind of approach that Montreal would actually be favored in but when you're talking about playing against Tampa Bay and you're the one who's going to be taking those penalties instead you'll quickly learn that giving Tampa Bay any sort of numerical advantage is just a really horrendous idea so the Habs just really need to be a lot more careful on the puck and sort of navigate these breakouts a little bit more cleanly, especially on defensive zone exits. If they can't facilitate those at all, that's going to be a serious issue. And their defenders who are springing some of these out are just going to have to be a lot more careful when they're picking their passing lanes and who they're sending the puck to because Tampa Bay is very fast to force those recoveries. I feel like we've seen Tampa Bay just swarm the puck carriers at all times. They are defending champions for a reason, and I feel like Montreal is a little bit outgunned in this game, um, maybe a lot actually, but they held their own. I felt like it was not the kind of game where Montreal embarrassed the Jets in that one second round series. This was a little bit more closely fought, but it's going to be a tough road for them unless they find a couple of really greasy goals and figure out a way to limit some of Tampa Bay's best shooters. The Lightning only need a small space to score, and we all know that they do want to make Lightning strike twice in this Stanley Cup hunt, so wishing the Habs the best of luck. We'll have some thoughts from their next game on Wednesday evening when they resume. Hopefully Montreal kind of shows up and puts on a good performance. Even if they lose, just go down swinging. I think that's pretty much all that anyone asks. Speaking of, uh, you know, underdog performances and teams that we're maybe rooting for to upstage some of the larger opponents, we're now going to talk about the Euro 2020 competition, which has seen some very crazy upheavals from this weekend until now. There's been some really unbelievable results, some of which may shock even the most jaded of you sports fans. Before then, though, I wanted to tell you about why BetOnline.ag should be the only place to do your online betting. When it comes to the weird, wacky, wild, wonderful world of online betting, you need to know that there's a safe, reliable name that you can trust every single time. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline, because they're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball, hockey, and basketball season are all in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, international football, and every sport in between. No matter what you're into, BetOnline has your back. Before the next pitch or face-off, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and enter all the contests your heart desires. 
Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action as all of your favorite teams begin their quests for playoff glory. Win as your favorite teams win. To get started, go to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and register for a free account. And when you do, be sure to use promo code Locked On to receive a 50% match welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that is promo code Locked On at registration to receive a matched 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, friends, to these closing thoughts from the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We have talked about Montreal versus Tampa Bay game number one. Now I thought I would talk about my other big passion, which is, of course, football. A lot of you folks have been following the Euro 2020 competition. Even those of you who don't normally follow football have been very interested in what is a chaotic tournament, and now we are moving on to the knockout rounds, and there have been some very shocking results. Starting with Saturday, we saw Denmark defeat Wales for nothing. I think a lot of folks were hoping that Denmark would advance. You know, the Christian Eriksen collapse and everything that has happened with that team is very emotional, so obviously people are rooting for them to advance and sort of win it for Christian. They've had some very good performances throughout this tournament, but beating Wales 4-0 is certainly no uh, easy feat of the imagination. Wales are typically a defensively resilient team with a very organized structure, so getting them into a red and winning a 4-0 game is a big statement from a team that, frankly, I don't know a lot of people are expecting to advance. We'll find out if Denmark's magical advance can continue in their next match, which will be, uh, I believe, on Saturday against the Czech Republic, which would be a very interesting matchup. Up next, we had Italy versus Austria, which actually took the full extra time because it was a very tight game and both teams were not really giving their opponents many opportunities. Austria, I felt like, was playing a fairly cagey game. Italy was kind of in the same boat. Both teams struggling to find those really good shooting and passing lanes. But ultimately, the stronger team prevailed, and I think we all expected Italy to advance with how dominant they've been in this tournament. And then Sunday happened, and there were some really surprising games. Um, one of the bigger shocks was the Netherlands getting eliminated by the Czech Republic 2-0, although that was due in part to Matthias de Ligt actually taking a red in a bad sequence where he touched the ball as the, uh, I think it was Patrick Schick was running towards goal with it, and when you do a handball like that, it's basically a red card because you deny a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. I'm sure the Dutch are going to be kicking themselves because this would have been a wide-open tournament for them, but unfortunately they get eliminated and are sent home early in a pretty depressing fashion. Belgium also ended up seeing off Portugal 1-0 later that day, a big win for the Belgians who are one of the more, I would say, favorite teams this tournament, but now they've sustained injuries to guys like Kevin De Bruyne, which is going to be a serious problem, and with an aging defense and a roster that is definitely on the wrong side of the 20s and 30s, you have to imagine that Belgium is probably running out of gas. Nothing, though, could prepare anyone for today's matches, which was Croatia versus Spain and France versus Switzerland. Croatia-Spain was an absolutely maddening game in which both teams were basically locked in a goal fest. Spain had the lead for a while, 3-1, and then ended up blowing it. Uh, Croatia tied it to come back and force extra time, but unfortunately for the Croats, they just ended up running out of steam, and Spain hit them on several really dangerous counters that they really didn't have an answer for. So you take a risk in extra time, you're playing for a win, you sort of understand that you would rather finish it in regulation than allow it to go to pens because pens are a lot chancier, but, you know, in this case, Croatia ended up getting bitten pretty hard by this one, a couple of really fast counters and verticals, and it is game over for them. That seemed like the potential game of the tournament until the following match between France and Switzerland, in which Switzerland narrowly defeated France in pens 5-4. France, which had recovered from a 1-0 deficit in the first half, had a 3-1 lead heading into the 80th minute of the second half, and things were looking pretty good. They were in cruise control, everything was going smoothly, France was dominating, and then they made a sloppy turnover. It is then 3-2 
And then basically at the end of regulation, you know, Switzerland gets one more counter thanks to a brilliant through ball from Granit Xhaka to, I believe it was Gavranovic. And just like that, it is tied 3-3 on a very bad defensive error. France looks disorganized, very discombobulated. And off to extra time we go, where no one was really able to get all that many great looks. France probably had the more dangerous chances at first, but thankfully Jan Sommer was able to stop most of them and keep, uh, you know, France off the board in this one. And then it came down to the shootout in which Switzerland ended up prevailing on the very last uh, save of the game. This one, you know, all the penalty takers up to this point had scored for both France and for Switzerland. It came down to the final French shooter because Switzerland had gone first and scored all five of theirs. Kylian Mbappe had to score to try and save this one and extend it to the sixth round, but unfortunately for him, ended up watching as Jan Sommer leapt across and palmed the ball away. This result is absolutely going to shake up the entire tournament because now it's a completely wide open structure with a number of teams that are favored but maybe not favorites. The Euros are now completely up for grabs and we will find out who's going to reign supreme as we start to get into the further elimination rounds starting with England and Germany tomorrow at 12pm Eastern and then Sweden-Ukraine at 3pm as well. I'll have some thoughts on those games and some other stuff on tomorrow's episode, but for tonight's episode, that will do it. Before you log off, don't forget to check out one of our other fantastic podcasts. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your favorite media. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.